Welcome to the Female CEO Show. I'm your host, Courtney Quinn. I'm a corporate dropout turned serial entrepreneur with a passion for helping female business owners step into your power and reach your full potential in business and in life. I'm on a mission to empower more women to become their own boss while teaching them how to do it in a healthy, scalable way that supports your dream life so that you're running a business and not owning a business that runs you. Whether you're a seasoned entrepreneur or you're still toying with the idea of diving into your own business, you're in the right place if you're looking for tools to support you as you are navigating the world of entrepreneurship as a woman, because I'm going to get real with you on how to do so. Let's dive in to today's episode. Welcome to this week's episode of the Female CEO Show podcast. Today, I am joined by Christina Sobertina. She is a startup lawyer turned venture investor. For the past seven plus years, she has been representing startups throughout their life cycle from formation and fundraising to -to day-to-day operations and exits. And prior to starting her own legal practice and venture investments, she worked at Cooley, a big law firm known for tech and venture capital work, as well as two venture-backed startups. She is also a creator who shares legal tips for startups, investing resources, and healthy lifestyle content on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. Today, we are going to dive in to kind of like the legal side of business and startups. We're going to be talking about fundraising, pitch decks, networking, and how to maintain a balanced lifestyle as a busy woman. I am so excited to dive into all of this with Christina. Christina, welcome to the Female CEO Show podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Courtney. It's my pleasure and honor to be here to share a little bit of um, knowledge and wisdom with fellow female founders. That's my best um, best audience, I guess. I love, enjoy, I work a lot uh, with them and I um, associate myself with them. So thank you so much for having me. I love that. Of course. Thanks for joining us. And me too. I feel like that's really where my heart is and everything that I'm doing is like supporting other female entrepreneurs. So this is going to be the perfect conversation. So like kick things off for us a little bit. Tell us about you, your story, your journey, and kind of how you have ended up here now, like as a lawyer and venture investor. Yeah. Uh, so as you uh, noted, I've been a corporate lawyer for the past seven plus year, years representing startups throughout their life cycle. I recently left Cooley uh, at, uh, in February and took a leap of faith to pursue my dream of becoming a venture investor. And I also started my own. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, uh, it is it is scary and exciting. And, you know, um, uh, I really love Corey Muscar and it's a, a little bit of um, uh, uh, interception of, you know, of my story. But Corey Muscar, one of my favorite mindfulness teacher, he says once in a uh, once in your life, you should do something that you're both terrified and excited about. So that is that is the journey. I'm terrified and excited about terrified because I left to start my own law practice and do venture investments. And that's the new chapter that, um, you know, you're figuring out as you go. Although I have, uh, you know, legal skills, but running your own law practice, getting your own clients, and at the same time, writing your investment thesis, meeting other investors and learning how to invest, that's definitely new. And from my background, uh, before I worked uh, at Cooley, I was a general counselor to venture-backed startups. 
and I was helping them basically with the same things from formation, financing rounds, day-to-day -day business operations, uh, fundraising, exits such as IPO, M&A. And uh, prior to that, I uh, worked for a federal judge at the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit. That's how I knew that litigation is not for me because I love building things as opposed to arguing about things and being a startup lawyer, venture lawyer. The difference uh, between a litigation lawyer and a startup lawyer is that as a startup lawyer, you focus on building and creating things and helping startup founders and venture investors to create more value because in the beginning of the journey, there is nothing to split. You have to create a lot of value. Mm -hmm. And I see myself as a partner, as a, um, as a partner with legal skills that is helping founders to create their businesses from the beginning. And uh, I graduated from USC uh, and I came to the United States in 2014. I'm an immigrant. I'm originally from Russia. Um, and in Russia, I was doing investment projects. I was also a lawyer. So that's been a great journey since 2014. I've been building um, myself as a lawyer here and this year, Yes, as a lawyer, but also entrepreneur with my own practice and as a venture investor. Wow. Okay. Quite a story. And talk about like how busy you have been, but also so impressive. You're just like casually dropping all of these things that you have been up to. That is incredible. I am. Oh, I'm so excited to have this conversation. I think to kind of like kick things off a little bit for myself, but also for the audience, Tell us a little bit about like what venture investment is like, bring it down to the basics for yes. us. Yes, I'm happy to do that because uh, as a content creator, uh, I was interviewing people on the streets uh, and with my social media manager. And so we went and just interviewed people. Hey, do you have a startup idea? And what I've heard is like jewelry business, construction, um, construction business or um, car repair. I'm like, this is a great idea for business. You definitely want to be entrepreneur, but that's not necessarily a startup. So the first thing I wanted yeah. to break down the difference between a small business and a startup. Please. So both, are, yes. <laughs> um, and it's really important for, for three reasons. First is that if you're a small business uh, versus a startup, your sources of fundraising are different. Now, mm -hmm. if you are a startup, meaning a company, a new venture that has a high potential for high growth, um, we, we say it's built to scale. Like imagine Uber. Initially, it's a small business, but if it's done uh, well, if everything goes right, everyone will make uh, millions and millions of dollars. So mm -hmm. it's capable of uh, being scaled. Small business is built to grow revenue, for example, being a lawyer, consulting business, uh, a lot of content creators, they're built to grow their revenue, but uh, the scaling potential might be limited. And the reason for that is, um, and the, the, the implication of that, when you raise money as a startup, you can go and raise that money from venture investors, venture funds, angel investors. So they invest in with the hope that you're going to return uh, 10 or 100x on their investment. That's possible if your business is capable of like blowing up, right? Mm -hmm. So if it's a local coffee shop, for example, not franchise, probably it won't blow up. Probably it's not going to be 100x. Mm -hmm. So venture investors, they would not necessarily be interested in that. Mm -hmm. As a small business, you're creating something that people need and it's uh, 
steadily will grow in value in revenue. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be, um, again, coffee shop. It could be content creation business, anything. Even my uh, little law firm, that's, um, that is an example of a small business. Mm-hmm. But, for example, if I create a software that helps lawyers to build contracts and it's possible to implement that software globally, mm-hmm. that is an example of a startup. And for that, I would need to raise a couple of million dollars to help me scale fast. Mm -hmm. So that is the difference between startups and small businesses. Okay. And another implication of that difference is that when you create small business or startup, um, choice of the legal entity um, Mm -hmm. is important. A small business, you frequently benefit from starting as an LLC, limited liability company, Mm -hmm. because you avoid double taxation, you deduct business expenses from your personal tax return, the the taxes flow uh, to you as a person. As a corporation, and usually startups are formed as corporations, you're being taxed on two separate levels as a corporation and as a person. And Delaware C Corporation, that is the... um, Uh, the staple for startups for small businesses it's not necessarily the case so when founders come to me and they ask me how do i form my entity my first question are you a small business or a startup and then if you're a startup that plans on raising venture funds i recommend going with plain vanilla delaware c corp and if it's a small business then we can see uh, what are the options it could be llc it still could be a corporation but if you plan on raising venture funds, Delaware C Corporation, that's the way to go. Interesting. Is that specific like to their tax laws or something in Delaware? Uh, so n- not necessarily. Delaware doesn't have state tax, uh, but Delaware, it's the state um, uh-huh. that is very business friendly. It has its own court of chancery. It's... Um, the, the laws are evolved and business friendly and mm-hmm. most of the big corporations and startups, they incorporated there. So the judges, they experience dealing with that sort of um, complexity of mm-hmm. uh, uh, having a startup. Also, uh, when you get your venture investors, all of them, they're well-versed in Delaware law. So for them, if you say that you have a Delaware corporation, for them, it's all very clear um, and easy. If you're going to be a Colorado uh, LLC, they're probably going to push you to convert to a C-Corp. And then Colorado laws, not many startup lawyers, they are familiar with those laws. So mm-hmm. it's going to be additional layer of complexity for investor to invest. Uh-huh. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. And then I feel like this is kind of an obvious question, but I'll go ahead and ask it. Like you don't have to be a resident of Delaware to like incorporate your business there. No, you don't have to be there. You don't have to live there. Um, You don't even have to pay taxes there if you don't do business there. You just pay annual franchise tax uh, and you file annual report and -hmm. you engage a registered agent in Delaware, which is $50 um, um, per year. So that's not uh, a lot of money just for the secretary of state to send you correspondence uh, to a certain address. And then if, for example, you're located in California and you're doing business in California, you file, um, you domesticate that Delaware corporation in California. So you file um, certain documents that uh, basically allow you to do business in California. 
it's a it's called foreign corporation uh, doing business in uh, in California. Interesting. So, when it comes to like venture investment, kind of what does that look like on your end, and kind of what you're doing on like a day to day or week to week basis? Yeah, that sounds good. So the from venture as a as a venture investor, venture mm-hmm. investors they usually have investment thesis. So they have an idea in which startups they want to invest. It could be early stage or late stage startups. And early stage it's pre-seed, seed, series A startups. Uh, and growth stage anything after that. So uh, with Uber example of when they started blowing up, they became growth stage company. But in the beginning, it was seed stage, like similar with Amazon. Um, when they were raising, I think, money from 200 investors, from small little investors, that was the beginning of the startup life cycle. So all the investors, they focus on different stages of a startup life cycle and also different industries. Um, somebody is focusing on healthcare. Some people focusing on um, um, life sciences, um, mental health. I personally, I'm interested in mental health and intersection of AI and healthcare. And since February, I started advising two startups in that uh, in that industry. They're mm-hmm. all early stage intersection of AI and health. And I take a combination of equity and uh, cash. So I do charge hourly a fee for legal services for purely preparing the legal documents. But I take equity because I believe in the company and I help them strategize. I help them with uh, legal strategy, but also fundraising. I introduce them to my network of venture funds. And uh, yeah, they get funded like that. Oh, so cool. So how did you kind of stumble your way into this and then be, get to the point where you're like, I like, I want to start investing and like actually start doing this and really become like the investor and not necessarily just be the lawyer advising them like through the law firm that I work for. Yeah. So I've always been in the industry since mm-hmm. the beginning. I've worked at two startups internally and I saw all of the dynamics. And then I worked at a law firm representing many startups and also representing venture funds investing in startups. And I've always been curious what happens before the term sheet gets signed, uh, because that's where I come in and help to paper everything up. Mm, okay. And yeah. after uh, investment has been done, how do we scale the company? So I've mm-hmm. always been interested um, about things on the business side. And also I realized through just personal learning that I'm more extroverted and I love building relationships. So I do enjoy honestly doing legal work. I do, but I want to do more business building, relationship building, um, sitting at a computer 13 hours a day. I'm not that introverted. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I, I get the energy from, um, meeting new people, entrepreneurs and helping them, to build their business, connecting them with the resources. Oh, I love that. What a perfect fit for you. This is so funny. So I don't know if you ever took like a career test in like high school or college, but we took one. I remember taking one my freshman year of college and my first, like my top three were um, an entrepreneur, a venture capitalist and an attorney. 
And I was like, okay, yeah, those like those those all sound great. Oh my but god, how did, I'm like, living your best life. <laughs> you literally are. But I was like, okay, cool. Like, how can you just tell someone in a like job test to just like become a venture capitalist? Like, yeah, I think I'll just graduate college and go become like a shark essentially. Like it was so crazy to me that that was one of the answers. Super cool. But yeah, so like to like break it down even further a little bit to get into this, like you have to have some money to work with, right. To be able to invest. So not necessarily, uh, as oh, a, so okay. you can, there are a couple of options. Mm-hmm. So first you can angel invest. You can be an investor who is not a professional investor who invests their own money and you don't have to have even a lot of money. It could be as little as 1000 check uh, in a startup and there are Mm -hmm. communities that will help you to learn about angel investing and um, that will give you the deal flow so for example i'm a member of angel uh, squad of hustle Mm -hmm. fund so hustle fund is a venture fund they're professional investors but they formed angel squad a community of angel investors um, that have their jobs and they have uh, disposable income they want to invest not only in s&p 500 bonds they also want to invest in private market and startups. Again, because there is the potential of the next unicorn and you will make uh, 10x on your investment, right? And you want to build as a person with a job, invest in your money. You want to build a diversified portfolio, right? You mm-hmm. want to invest in something safe, then risky, then more risky. More risk, more return. So you mm-hmm. have a balanced, diversified portfolio. So as an angel investor, you might not know how to invest, but yeah. um, there are communities that will help you to invest. Okay. Then another option, second option, you can be a startup advisor. That's how I'm starting out personally. Instead of uh, doing the angel checks, I put, it's called sweat equity. I advise the companies. I put the hours, I provide legal services in exchange for equity. So here you don't even need to put cash. Wow. As long as you have something of value to provide yeah. to founders. For example, you, Courtney, as a content creator, as a manager for content creators, you can potentially take equity because you will be helping them with marketing. Mm-hmm. And there is a very simple uh, startup advisor agreement um, drafted by Founder Institute. Um, easy. You download that and you agree with the founder. Uh, on the percentage uh, that template has guidelines how much you can ask for depending on how many hours you put in so instead of you charging them i don't know how much you charge maybe like five thousand per month instead of charging that you can say hey i would love 1.2 percent of your company Um, so that would be the option and then your incentives will be aligned because you Mm -hmm. want that company to be a unicorn yeah yeah and so you might not do it with every companies. For example, I have other clients and I don't take equity because it's maybe it's not aligned with my investment thesis. I don't mm-hmm. believe, I, I don't believe I can help them with mm-hmm. introductions. So I just take cash. But in those companies that I think, yeah, like we, I think this is going to be the ba- the big thing and I'm capable of providing introductions and value. That's why I take equity. And so the third type, um, the third way uh, of being an investor is to join a venture fund. And you can be an associate or principal uh, of a VC fund. So you have a job 
uh, that consists of picking startups and investing in them. So you invest in not your own money, you invest in the money of limited partners or investors mm -hmm. in your VC fund. Mm -hmm. um, and eventually you can raise your own fund from, um, from uh, people who have that income to, to provide, and then you invest from that fund. So there are different paths to become um, uh, an investor. And it's not as fancy or complicated as it sounds. Everyone can be an investor. It's just if you have time and desire to learn how to do it, mm -hmm. um, that's, that's what it is. The most important part in being a venture investor is to have a deal flow, which means you always meet founders who are building something cool. And for that, you have to have something of value for them that they come to you. So for me, that's legal, hopefully at some point, uh, content creation. Um, yeah. So as long as you have that, you, you can be an investor in no time. Oh, that is so cool. I'm so happy you shared all of that. So that, I mean, that completely dispelled like so many myths that I had in my head about like being able to invest or to like be a venture capitalist. How cool. Okay. So for the women listening let's break it down even further a little bit i know you mentioned like hustle fund or give us some Angel like squad of hustle fund okay mm -hmm. give us some like specifics on we're we're ready to invest we're ready to start looking into it like what what should we do yeah. So uh, example of uh, Angel's, uh, Angel's Squad of Hustle Fund, and I'm also a member of another woman-led community, Angel's VC. Mm -hmm. So you can join the community and then you will tell them, um, okay, I'm interested in investing in female entrepreneurs, for example, mm -hmm. that are building something in content creation industry. And they will be showing you the deals that they have. Um, mm -hmm. It's ongoing. And you would be able to assess whether you want to invest. And the, the check size could be as little as 1,000. Um, in addition, they provide educational content when you, um, they evaluate the deals uh, on Zoom and you see how they evaluate them. What is the framework? And I can share the framework that I use and Hustle Fund uses. Um, so er, for early stage startups, we look at five things. First mm -hmm. is team. So you need to make sure that people that are starting that company, they have experience in that industry. They achieved something in that industry. Why they are, um, what, to make sure they're capable of solving the certain problem. Mm -hmm. And if there are more than, more than one person, there are two co-founders, have they worked together in the past? Have they successfully achieved something? So we look at the team. The second one is the problem. What is the problem they're trying to solve? Uh, Let's take an example with content creation economy. I think the problem in content creation economy is that the value accrual happens at the platforms level and the content creators, they don't own the content and they struggle monetizing it. Mm -hmm. So is it a real problem? Yes. I personally, as a content creator, experience that and I see other content creators struggling that. So real problem. Cool. Then solution. What is the solution that the startup is trying to solve? Maybe if we take the content creation example, let's say um, I'm building a platform that uh, allows content creators to own their content and monetize it using um, decentralized finance. For example, you can sell NFTs to your uh, followers. 
cool. It solves it solves the problem. It's mm-hmm. unique and um, it has the competitive advantage over TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and maybe the revenue share is more fair for you know content creators okay so we have and the team like the first element right and the team is probably like you and i for example we're content creators so we really know the problem and we really know the solution Mm -hmm. um and we for example we work together so so Mm -hmm. far these three elements uh sound incredible okay then (laughs) we're golden so yeah team um problem solution then we're looking at the market how big is the market? Meaning how many people, how many content creators are out there that could be using our platforms? Can mm-hmm. We basically need to be convinced that if everything goes right and our problem and our solution is, um, our solution is solving the problem and the problem is real, that everyone will make a lot of money. So how mm-hmm. big is the market? Um, and I think we have 50 million, no, 50 million content creators, um, yeah, and the the budget for digital marketing, I think it's in billions. <laughs> so market is pretty big. Um, yeah. I think we will have we will not have a problem. And the last element um, is traction. So for example, let's say we build that platform and we enrolled a hundred content creators, mm-hmm. and we're looking at the metrics and um, all of those like more than fifty percent of creators use our platform daily so the retention rate is high Mm -hmm. daily active users monthly active users incredible so we just prove that the problem exists and not only it exists we have a good solution so these five elements team problem solution market traction i call it high five that's what you need to give to your investor to convince them to invest if all of that is there that's how you know okay this has potential as an investor especially if you know the industry and you're convicted that the team is great and you know the market is big, you might consider investing in our little startup. And mm-hmm. there are different ways to invest and there are very easy ways for uh, for people to invest. You can use a simple SAFE. So simple uh, SAFE, it's Simple Agreement for Future Equity. Why um, Combinator, they have a form online. You can just download it. Um, you choose, um, you fill out the form and you can invest in a startup just like that. The only thing for uh, venture investors, I have to notice, uh, have to note that mm-hmm. you have to be an accredited investor, mm-hmm. which is, it sounds fancy. It's not that complicated, but basically you have to make at least 200 uh, per year. Okay. Or you have to have net worth uh, of one million or more, and there are other categories, but these are the two uh, most important ones. And the reason why um, uh, only accredited investors can invest in in startups is that um, it's very risky. So we don't want to jeopardize savings of people who are not making, you know, um, enough money because they might be hoping, oh, I'm going to invest my my retirement fund and become a millionaire and then they lose it all. So we don't want that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why the ACC, the Securities Exchange Commission, they come up with these rules. Um, you don't have to get accredited, but as a startup, before accepting money, they will verify that you're an accredited investor. You're sophisticated and you can sustain a complete loss of your investment. Mm-hmm. Ooh, okay. So let's touch on that for a second. Like losing your investment. What's kind of your mindset around that? Like I get like it's investing, like that's kind of the name of the game, but 
kind of like walk us through like when that happens what do you do like kind of what's going through your head yeah so to be honest with you 90 percent of startups fail wow so you have to go with the mindset that it might fail mm-hmm. <laughs> you might lose everything and you should invest what you are okay losing okay and um it's um, I wouldn't say it's gambling, but early stage startups, uh, one of my uh, dear friends, and she's a very experienced venture investor, and she's like partner of a top tier uh, VC fund. But she, she says um, picking early stage startups is like throwing spaghetti uh, on the wall. You never know. But that's why it's really important to pick a team that is so qualified, that is so resilient that has that mindset, never give up, figure Mm -hmm. shit out, because you might pivot. Many startups, many startups, they pivot. They uh, Mm. choose a solution and they're like, okay, this is not working. We're going to do something else. So it's very Mm -hmm. frequently happens. But as long as the team is great and that the market they're going after is big, so the market allows you to make a lot of money if you do everything right, Mm -hmm you kind of have that internal conviction in the team that they're going to figure it out. They will not give up. They will pivot 50 times, but they will figure it out. And if not, then, then it's okay. Uh, because venture investments are risky. Um, and again, you have to have a balanced portfolio that has some, um, not risky stuff such as public Mm -hmm. stock or maybe even bonds or real estate or, less volatile investments and yeah. also one thing to note that startup life cycle you expect that for seven ten years you wouldn't get the money back so you wouldn't know whether you succeeded or not uh, sometimes you, you can sell your um your holding in a startup uh, if it's doing well and in a, as a secondary transaction you can do it but generally the mindset should be for next seven years i'm not touching it it's there i pray for for the best and another thing that I, um, I think is helpful uh, framework for you to think, invest in companies that you understand and invest in companies that you can help, you can help them succeed. So mm-hmm. yeah, they might fail, you know, we all can fail and failure is, is normal, but if you help them to get there, you know, it's, you're building something together. So it's okay mm-hmm. to fail if you did everything that you could. Yeah. Absolutely. What kind of constitutes failure in this space to you? Like, do they just completely close up shop? Like, what does what does that failure kind of look like? Oh, that is a really good question, because some of the startups, yeah, you just go you go bankrupt because you run out of money, you run out of cash, Mm -hmm. you can't raise more uh, or you sell. Um, It's it's a better exit if, for example, you can't raise more and you know, you just want out, you sell the company, which is, which is good. At least you get something um, mm-hmm. out of it. But some startups, they just go on. They continue raising. They don't have a product market fit. They're just bleeding money, but they don't want to give up. They don't want to acknowledge that failure, yeah. which I think is not good. It's a waste of time yeah. for you. If it's not working out. Um, and so I recently had a conversation with my friend, um, and I definitely will, will, will not name him, but he is in a similar situation that he raised money. There is no product market feed. So as a venture story, he is not a success. Like that startup is not successful. 
but okay. it's also not a successful business because it's not revenue positive. They, mm-hmm. they, uh, they, they do have some revenue, but it doesn't cover the expenses. So you're stuck in that middle position. And my personal take on that is that you stop and you start a new idea, but for that, you need to acknowledge, okay, this is, yeah, this, this is, we, we failed, but we learned, you know, that, exactly. that's the mindset. <laughs> mm-hmm. I agree completely. Like kind of having the self-awareness and the, like the, not having the ego to be able to admit that like, okay, we can consider this a failure. And like, how can we pivot? What did we learn? How can we transition from this as opposed to like, beating the dead horse like exactly save yourself the time save yourself the energy and just kind of accept it and move on i think is a huge superpower. but a startup is you it's your baby so yeah you know like that that force you still want to carry it (laughs) you know (laughs) with you so i get it i understand it's super hard but i also know many startup founders and one of them he's a unicorn founder now his company is valued at like 10 billion dollars but for 10 years, he was not successful. He went through six business ideas that just did not work. <laughs> you wow. know, one of them I think was successful, but they couldn't monetize it. Mm-hmm. Um, and only after 10 years and honestly not having a real job, not making real money, not putting uh, like avocado in your burrito, they, they <laughs> made it, <laughs> you know? Wow. So wow. it, it takes a lot of that is the mindset, that conviction that you can make it not only with the idea, because they ended up doing something in Web3. They even didn't have the experience with Web3, but they figured it out because mm-hmm. the market was great for Web3 blockchain and they went into that market. So I think that that's the, the founders that I want to invest in. They have conviction that they're going to succeed and they are striving for something, not just the money. Because if you are optimizing for money, that's going to be a really tough journey for you. You're mm-hmm. better off like working at Fan, Google, and like you know making um, your cushy salary. Yeah. Ooh, I love that. That would definitely be the type of person that like I would want to work with, or like would be comfortable being like, yes, like take my money. Like I believe in you to make this happen because of like who you are, mo- even more than like the idea. yeah and early stage investments that's exactly what it is it's about the people because you never know what's going to be the end idea um yeah so it's 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 about the people and that's why i love um early stage investments because i wouldn't say i'm a good character uh, judge of character but i could feel the energy and the motivation behind a person and that's Honestly, at the end of the day, that's how I make my uh, decisions. Mm. I definitely look at the prior experience and prior successes, but that drive, that resilience and prior successes is just the, the confirmation that you've done something hard, you've achieved something, you have some results in your life. Yeah. Oh, wow. So when, you know, you're investing money, what does that money like go towards? You know, I mean, I feel like it can run a gamut, but like you're signing that check, you're sending that money off. You're like, yes, I'm investing. Like, what do those dollars actually do like inside of the business? So, yeah. So when startup is raising money, they tell you where they want to spend. Um, and okay. it's, yeah, so they, they would basically disclose the salaries and startup salaries. Uh, they, they are not huge. <laughs> They're not yeah, it's barely like surviving minimum uh, at wow, early okay. stage company. For example, for 
San Francisco for Silicon Valley, the startup mm-hmm. founders that just just starting out, they would pay themselves probably like 120k a year, okay. which is barely uh, enough for Silicon Valley, right? For other states and cities, it might be uh, you know really great salary, but not for Silicon Valley. So yeah. some of that gets allocated to their salaries, very modest, but most of it will go towards building the the product. Okay. Um, so for example, if you um. Uh, you know, AI company building uh, the, the the model to evaluate voice uh, and to detect health issues based on voice. That's actually one of the wow. one of my wow. startups. They need servers. They need computers. Um, they need everything to execute to go to the market and sell mm-hmm. the product. So that's where the money will go to. Wow, that sounds that company that you have invested in. That is like. <laughs> I can't even like comprehend that. That's incredible. But that does, that makes, that makes sense. I'm, I'm glad you broke that down. Um, and I love that they kind of disclose that too. It's not like you're just sending your money into a black hole. You, you really kind of understand where that money is going to help support them too. A hundred percent. And um, they, they are raising for specific milestones for hitting them because in the beginning they um, take the money um like with low valuation, meaning they dilute themselves a lot. So they could sell Mm -hmm. like 20% of the company for not a lot of money. So they better not raise a lot of money because once you hit the milestone, the company is worth more. So you can raise another round with Mm -hmm. um, high evaluation. So they will dilute themselves less. That's why it's really important for a startup to have specific milestone to hit, um, to hit certain valuation and then go from that. Like, what do I need to do to be valued at $20 million versus $10 million. Wow. Interesting. Okay. So I'd love to switch gears with you, Christina, because you were talking about how you, you love making connections. Like you love being able to introduce, uh, like the companies that you're investing in to your network. I would love to hear from you some like tips on networking and how you have built your network, especially in today's like post-COVID era, I feel like all of us have just gotten very comfortable behind a screen and like not really networking. So I would love to hear your advice on this. Yeah, sure. Uh, So I'll I'll tell you a little bit about my experience and then some of the tips. So most of my network came from um, honestly, work experience, connecting mm-hmm. uh, at my workplace with founders, with investors, and trying to connect with them on a personal level. Mm-hmm. The most important thing, I think, overall, no matter what you do in life, is ask yourself, how can I be of value? How can I be of service? And I think that mindset, not how can I network, not how can I get something out of something, um, yeah. but how can I be of value, mm-hmm. that shifts that shifts your energy and people can mm-hmm. feel it. Uh, people can feel whether you are a giver, whether you are kind or you're trying to skin something. Mm-hmm. That's why I just naturally gravitate towards people whom I admire. So for me, giving them and, you know, being inspired by them, it's natural. I don't try to do anything just because I really like them. Yeah. And, when I provide services to them or I just met them at a party or like on social media, I'm very genuine and enthusiastic 
just because I, I really, I really love what they do. So if you have a job uh, and try to make connections and it doesn't matter with, with whom, try to be of value of service to everyone. And I had examples when, you know, you have good relationship with a paralegal and then they will refer you um, to their friend who is a CEO of like Zoom. Uh, that's actually the real situation, <laughs> the, the real uh, story. Wow. So you never know how everything will play out. So mm-hmm. be kind and be of service. I like that. Uh, and specific, more specific tips. Um, I have a couple of communities in San Francisco. So I think mm-hmm. creating the space, a community for other for other people to to meet, that's a great way for you to network because when you for example with social media i frequently feel that i am the one who needs to provide a lot of value but once mm-hmm. i bring the community together in person meeting they provide value to each other they are united by the values um i was the person who kind of brought them together mm-hmm. but then they they help each other and i really love seeing that so i have a web3 community in san francisco with my friend um who's a founder, a Web3 founder. And it's been incredible. So many collaborations, projects came from that, friendships. And we feel that's a safe space where people don't sell don't sell each other anything, but they just mm. share what they're doing, what they've learned on the journey. And everything happens naturally. And we have founders, investors who come in. And what I really love that that giving mentality that all of us, um, all of us have. Another networking tip for social media, for example, if you are, yeah. um, you know, maybe not extroverted, you don't really like going to events um, for social media. I uh, actually built close friendship with a, a general partner of a top tier VC fund just from social media. So he was oh. posting, you know, stories on uh, on Instagram and I felt it so cool. So I would just react to those stories and eventually he would notice that. Um, he would respond. Then he started following me. He started noticing my things and we started, mm-hmm. you know, just talking and it grew into deep, close friendship. Um, some of the events happened. His mom passed away. My dad passed away. And when my dad passed away, actually, that was the moment when I decided I'm going to be an entrepreneur because you never know when you're going to die. Uh, and fear is an illusion. You should just go for it because what is the point? <laughs> We're going to die. That is a fact. Um, and when we we bonded based on that at that point, which made us very close, but it started yeah. from social media and showing genuine interest um, in someone and what they're putting out there. So yeah. if I were in your shoes, who is listening right now, um, get out there and see who, who, who inspires you and just mm-hmm. engage with their content. Try to be helpful. For example, you can read their article or post and then you can uh, send them like the book or another article that you found helpful or similar. And just engage with their content. That's already um, good enough because they're, putting it out there for people to benefit, right? So they would love to hear from you. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I love how you said that. Like they would love to hear from you because as content creators, you do like, you want to hear that. Like you want to be able to connect with people. You want to build that community. But I feel like so often 
as the user, as the consumer, you're like, oh, like, I don't, I don't want to bother her. Or like, there's no way she would ever notice me. Like, I just, I just won't bother. And I think that is just super solid advice. And something I heard a long time ago that was really impactful for me, just in kind of like how you treat other people is to never let a tender thought go unspoken. So like when you, for me in practice, that's like, I see a girl at the coffee shop in a super cute dress, instead of just thinking to myself, like her dress is super cute, like actually tell her that. And that same thing goes with social media. Like if you see someone's content or you see something that they're doing or they're inspiring you, why keep that to yourself? Why not tell them and put that out there? Because everybody loves to hear something like that too, especially with all the work that goes in to social media. But I love too what you said about like, you just kept reacting. You kept like kind of saying your piece. You said you were saying those compliments, those tender thoughts. And eventually like that very organically grew. Like you didn't reach out and be like, oh, like I loved this, hoping to get something out of it. Like you were just saying that to be a kind human because that person inspired you. And that really snowballed. And it's almost like the long game a little bit. And I feel like in today's day and age, like we just want that instant gratification. Like if it's not happening super quick, like we're uninterested or we don't think it's working. And there is something to be said, especially with building those genuine relationships that like they take time and to just kind of continue putting in that work. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, like I have a network of incredible friends and like these people who inspire me that now like we're in each other's DMs and things like that. Oh, that was wonderful advice. And so simple, like something that everybody could start doing today and put into practice And I love how you almost just like demystified that. Like it just, it seems like so difficult to connect with these people, with these creators, but it's not, it doesn't have to be. It it, it truly is. And uh, that advice came from me moving to the United States and not knowing a single person. When I came here, I didn't know anyone. And what I did, I just sent a hundred messages on LinkedIn asking for coffee date or something, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, and I reached out to alumni from USC because I went to USC and, you know, maybe from a hundred people, like five will respond, but I will Mm -hmm. build, I will start building that relationship. Um, And that's how I realized that, especially in the United States, people are so open to sharing and to, you know, giving because somebody else helped them, um, in their journey before Mm. and they most of them they want to pay forward so that is a uh, that is something to keep in mind and now when somebody reaches out to me from usc i always try to you know to help yeah yeah oh that's so true i feel like no one really thinks that way that like someone like probably helped them get there like they want to repay that like we want to share our lessons learned with people but sometimes it just takes yeah. that person reaching out and then you're like, oh my gosh, like, yes, I want to help you. I can help you. Ooh. And okay. one more yeah. thought that startups, um, most of the people are immigrants, if not them, their parents. So they also started from scratch. They really know, I really know how it feels and I, I connect with those people on a deep level. So they, they also feel maybe 
as an outsider, even if they made it. Like, so I, I a lot of venture um, venture investors, my friends, they made it. They, you know, billionaires, but they still sometimes feel like an outsider because they were born in another country, but they don't belong. They already because it's been so many years and here mm-hmm. they made it but they're still you know they're different a little bit mm-hmm. so just based on that you can connect with people that you're going through the same things especially if you you know you or your parents came from another country oh absolutely what a powerful connection so as you are well, you're going on these coffee dates or you're you're making these new connections and you really want to lead with that value how are you kind of bringing that up? Like, what do those conversations look like where you're able to like slide in and be like, I can help you? Uh, honestly, in the so in the beginning of my career, um, mm-hmm. there is not that much value to, to be provided. Like, that's mm-hmm. true. So yeah. I, would, uh, I would just um, ask them about their journey. Everyone likes to talk about their journey, you know, like since yeah. they, they walk that journey. And uh, I would always ask, like, what would you do in my shoes? And people, mm. good people, they get pleasure from helping others and, like, seeing mm. that impact, right? So giving them that opportunity and just being grateful and thankful uh, for that and just, like, following up, asking how are they doing without any expectation, honestly. Yeah. Now in my career, I always ask, um, is there something I can help with, like, what are you currently working on and struggling with? And mm-hmm. sometimes it could be they need to hire someone or they have like this project that they're working on. Or sometimes they're like, oh, I'm really struggling with um, healthy lifestyle. I need suggestions. Or I'm struggling with mindset anxiety. And mm-hmm. I, I'm giving those suggestions. So it's not only the actual you know, service that I provide, but uh, or introduction is just being there for them. So one of them, uh, with that investor friend, actually, um, that emotional support right through that journey, that is super valuable. And yeah. that that is huge, being there for him while he needed. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. There are so many other ways, too, that you can add value. And I'm so happy you said that for someone who might be listening being a little hard on themselves thinking like, I don't really have like technical skills that I would be able to support someone with. But like, if you have been on this journey or you have just been on a personal development journey, like you have grown and you can help people kind of like take that next step up to where you are. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah. What we always have advice? something to, to offer, honestly. Oh yes. So you mentioned kind of like, living a balanced, healthy lifestyle. I know you create a lot of content about that on TikTok as well. Tell us kind of how you do maintain that balanced lifestyle with everything you have going on. Yeah. So uh, honestly, it was really hard when I was working in big law. Uh, Maintaining that healthy life balance is super hard because I felt guilty for not taking the time. So I love working out, but I would feel guilty um, to take an hour and go for a run or do yoga. Yeah. Because, yeah. oh, I could build this time or I could learn something. Um, but what I realized when I was not doing that, my work product would be worse. I would be um, more irritable. And I the way I would show up for people um, 
it wouldn't be of high value. The energy, I could say the words, but people could feel energy. If I'm irritated, if I'm tense, and if I'm anxious, mm-hmm. you know, the the quality of everything of my presence wouldn't be wouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. So what I um, now I do it and. Although I'm still busy, but I know it's a priority. And I think an advantage of being an entrepreneur, you have the flexibility. And it's really up to you to set those boundaries. And what I realized, I work the same amount of hours. And I sometimes don't do the things that I need to do. And I I realized that if not me not putting those things in place now, it never will happen. And then I encourage my team to to live in a non-healthy uh you know lifestyle Mm -hmm. so the things that worked for me so far um yoga and meditation journaling that helps me to be mindful and Mm self-aware and if you're not into you know yoga find something physical activity that just feels good it could be as easy as going on a 30-minute walk and listening to music to podcasts or talking to your friends Start with something that feels good. So for me, that is yoga and it helps me to relax my body. When I relax my body, it relaxes my mind. Um, With meditation, it helps me to observe my thoughts and realize that my thoughts are not me. And it helps me to rewire my thoughts. When I realize those limiting, belittling thoughts, I can circle up them when I journal and I realize what is the result of thinking those thoughts. I just analyze, okay, this is the thought, this is the feeling, this, what the action or inaction that it causes. And that's the result that I get. And I intentionally replace um, those thoughts. And I'll give you an example. That strategy helped me a lot with my entrepreneurial journey because I felt like an imposter uh, in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, like th- that, uh, that, um, that framework really helped me to rewire the brain. And I felt like an imposter because there are pieces that I don't know how to do, how to like hire, how to, yeah. you know, manage, how to, uh, you know, maybe bring new clients that are not within my network, how to venture invest, how to evaluate the deals, all of that content creation, everything is new. And so my thought was my limiting thought, I'm not doing enough. Although I was running in all of the directions and I was just, you know, burning out while being an entrepreneur. So you can't burn out even if you're an entrepreneur, not working for a Mm. corporate job. My thought was I'm not doing enough. And the feeling it caused that anxiety, impatience, you know, like Mm. I, I couldn't stand, um, and listen to someone fully because I was already on the next thing. And my action, um, I would procrastinate sometimes doing what is important because I have so so much to do. And as a result, you don't hit the priorities and you don't get the quality, um, the quality energy that you want to give to people. Mm -hmm. So once I realized that I replaced that thought with uh, me, I am, I am enough. And I, um, I give love in this world. And that just intention shifted the way I treat people, the way I do the work, that the intention is not to just get the stuff done, but to, you know, do it with quality in the presence that I want. And the mindfulness helps to observe those thoughts that not serving you and then replace them. And I do that daily 10 minute, you know, um, journaling. Mm -hmm. So, Meditation, yoga, journaling, uh, food is really important. Uh, I yes. strive for three things. I uh, drink water, three 
bottles. I just take the water bottle and make sure like I drink three of them. One salad a day. That's uh, uh, any salad is good. And protein. I add the protein to feel full. And um, if I don't do it, I would quickly want to snack on something sweet. Mm. And especially when you feel busy, you don't want to make, you don't want to cook. You feel like you, you're wasting your time, but taking that time to do that mindfully uh, without rush is a, uh, is a big thing. And another thing for the healthy, you know, lifestyle is to make sure you have time for relationships. As I mentioned, when my dad passed away, I realized that, you know, the time we had in the past three years because we had more deep conversations those three years were more valuable than you know 25 before that and taking that time to you know talk to your family friends um without rush taking Mm -hmm. that time so that is really and it's your support system as well absolutely Oh, wow. I love all of that advice because it's all very like simple. It's all feasible. It's something you could implement today without feeling so overwhelmed about like starting a self-care routine or things like that. How, tell us about your like meditation journaling practice. Like, is that something you do in the morning before you start your day? Is that how you end your day? What is kind of your, your day look like? Yeah. So for me, when I just wake up, I, uh, I meditate first thing in the morning and it could be, um, journaling and doing 30 minute meditation, or it could be five minutes laying in bed. And when I'm really stressed, I, I would do three things I'm grateful for, uh, as simple as that. And then mm-hmm. if I have to jump on a call, at least I did that. Um, I strive to meditate uh, now for 30 minutes, sitting in silence. But I, it took me years to get to that. I started from five minutes, and I started from guided meditations. And I mentioned in the beginning, uh, Corey Muscara, he's incredible mindfulness teacher. And anything, any app, or just meditation on the uh, on YouTube, you can you can mm-hmm. you can search. A good one um, is for abundance. And I can later provide you the link so you can you can tag. It's free. It's 21-day abundance meditation. Yeah, so many resources are free. But for yeah. now, um, I try to do the, the silence to really uh, listen to myself. And what helps me um, before meditation is to do some movement, some yoga, so it's comfortable for me to sit. I release that tension, that irritation. And yoga is meant to relax your body and prepare you for meditation. Yoga uh, traditionally is not meant to be a physical exercise. That's the preparation for meditation. So for example, this morning I did, because I was in in a little rush, I had a a, a early call. I did 15 minute meditation and 15 uh, minute yoga. And I know that I'm going to do the same set in the evening, but it really depends on the day. As long as you do it, it doesn't matter when, how. It could be even you walking on the street and noticing your breath, um, or making uh, I don't know matcha coffee and being really mindful and present with what you do without thinking what is the next thing or what was yesterday or what's yeah. So just being present with what you do that could be a meditation in itself. Wow, 
I love that because I feel like that is so easy for business owners to get wrapped up in like, what was I doing earlier? What do I have to do this afternoon? Like your mind is just constantly racing. How often do we actually take the time to just be in the present moment and not be thinking about the million other things that are going on? Yeah. And the quality of um, your pre- of your work and the presence when you're present, um, that just shifts everything. Like the magic happens. And one, uh, one thing when I realized how powerful it is, it was in 2015. So I um, failed my New York bar exam for the, on my first attempt. I barely, I barely knew English. Like I knew it for the law part, but yeah. you know, not the general words and it freaked me out. So when I was preparing for the bar exam, I, and I was taking it, I couldn't wait for it to be over. It felt like torture. Mm-hmm. And then a friend of mine, also a lawyer, he recommended the book called power of now. And that's how mm-hmm. I re- realized the power of presence. And that's how I took the bar exam, relaxing my body breathing and when i feel tension in my body i would relax it and so the i would focus on every word that i read without rush and it felt like time i had even more time during the exam and i passed it so yeah and yeah then california but and every time when there is something important i really make sure i am in the present moment because you get you you come but you also get that creative ideas out of nowhere uh, mm-hmm. when i was taking the uh, new york bar exam on my second attempt um that the the person was reading the instructions and i just felt it that i need to change my strategy uh, uh of taking the bar exam so i did something probably stupid for most of the people i skipped one of the tests i just put c and I spent the time on the essays. I just felt that, you know, this is the best yeah. strategy for me because I'm better at essays. But I was so tuned into myself in that moment that I was able to hear the clues. Although there are like a hundred people around me, but I was in myself, with myself, feeling safe. Um, yeah. Oh, so important to just like really listen to your intuition. And I love how in a situation that is that stressful taking the bar exam that you listened to your intuition and like allowed that to come through and took action on it as opposed to being like no 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 no, like I can't like that goes against the plan it's too late to switch things up like that came through for a reason and I really do believe that we are intuitive beings but we've just really learned to like shut that off or just kind of like we get those thoughts and we just brush them off or We are so not in our own body and we're so busy scrolling through social media, doing 10 million things at once that like those thoughts can't ever come through. Oh, yeah. You just don't notice them. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. Oh, that was so powerful. Oh, I loved loved this conversation. (laughs) So Christina, to kind of wrap things up, I have one last question for you that I ask every guest that comes on the show. What is one piece of advice that you would love to give another female entrepreneur? Be brave. As women, we frequently doubt ourselves. And I'm very fortunate to have men in my life who are very supportive of me. Um, And they are further in their career. And I feel comfortable in sharing my vulnerabilities with them and telling them, you know, all of the doubts. And what I get is like, 
don't doubt yourself that much. Uh, you're capable of more that you can accomplish. The fact that I need that, I need to hear that in order to to do things, right? To believe in myself. And what I realized, other women feel frequently the same way. Men would frequently go for what they're not maybe qualified for without doubts. As women, we need to be like overqualified to think mm-hmm. we can go for it. Be brave. Uh, believe in yourself. Oh, wonderful, powerful advice to end this off, especially from someone who has accomplished as much as you have and has done as much as you. I I love that advice. That is so true. And especially what you said about the men just go ahead and throw their name in the hat, like no matter what, <laughs> like we need to embody more of that energy as women, especially in business. Like you never know. You never know what could end up happening. You never know. Yeah. And when you're present, it really, it's much easier to not, not let the doubt get into mm-hmm. you because you just mm-hmm. take this moment as the only moment you have. And that's the, that's the only moment we have. We never live in the future. When the future happens, it's going to be also present moment. Yeah. Being wow. grounded in the present moment really helps to be brave because you just receive those intuitive thoughts and you just step by step you follow absolutely oh christina thank you so much for your time today this has been one of my favorite conversations i've had on the podcast i feel like we were able to cover so much ground i mean we talked about how we can start like investing in companies how to start a startup how to start investing and how to not go crazy with all of that so (laughs) that's why yoga (laughs) meditation and being present (laughs) the perfect combination i'm so excited to go like look more into some of the things that we talked about on like being able to invest because i did not know that that was actually something that was like a possibility for me. So super cool. Thank you so much for sharing all of this. Of course you have to build equity. You have to build equity. That's the real wealth. Yes. So please let everybody know where they can find you, how they can connect with you, consume your incredible content more on like balanced lifestyle, how they can work with you, all of the things. Sure. So I'm on all of the platforms, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. Uh, I also have my podcast called Startup Mindset um, with Christina Subotina. And um, you can just find on Instagram, it's Christina double underscore Subotina. And on uh, TikTok, it's Christina Subotina dot Esquire. E-S-Q Esquire is just this fancy thing for lawyers that we, we have. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, honestly, my personal website, uh, com, And you can, uh, you know, see all of the links uh, there. I have a blog post for startups. And you can read about legal stuff, starting your own startup. Definitely let me know if you need help with that. I'm so excited. Just, you know, hit me up. I'm for free. I will, uh, you know, I will help you direct you in the, in the right, uh, in the right direction. We need more women founders. And for that, we need more women uh, investors. I am all in um, for that. Absolutely. Me too. And a little giveaway that I want to, I want to give, I've been thinking about that for a while, but like, uh, if you're a woman founder, 
um, and you got a term sheet, I will review it for you for free. And I'll, I will limit that up to five women just to be mindful of my time. But if you raising, you got the term sheet, I will help you to, you know, to proofread, no, not to proofread it, but to ensure you get the fair terms because women frequently agree to the terms that are just not good because it's their first round and they agree to the terms that hurt them in the long run. So I would love to help. Oh, amazing. That is so generous of you. I am so like in, in admiration of how you truly like you live what you speak on wanting to empower more women, how you really like do want to be here to provide value and to give love and just raise other women up. Oh, I, I am in awe of you and what you are doing. I thank you so much for your time today. This was absolutely incredible. Thank you, Courtney. I'm trying to raise myself and (laughs) to empower myself, (laughs) you know, in that process so I can help others. And it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for inviting. I really love what you do. Um, And I think your focus on being able to run a business, but also have your life um, to have that, you know, enjoyable life. It's so important because it's it's not enjoyable for women to be exhausted burnt out like it's <laughs> not at all not at all been there done that would not recommend Same. to <laughs> one out of ten do not recommend <laughs> recommend absolutely uh, christina thank you so much for everything you shared today thank you, and thank you for listening to this week's episode of the female CEO show. Everything will be linked in the show notes so you can connect with Christina and I will catch you on the next episode.